want to do a, a single lesson. We've had a series that we are doing on and off through this year that are called Concrete and trying just to remind us of some critical foundational lessons uh, from the scriptures. And, and today we're going to talk about sin. And I think this is really important for a number of reasons. First of all, even as Christians, I don't believe that we've got a full grasp of what sin exactly is. And a lot of that is because I think the world around us uh, can rub off on us about, well, what sin is. And today, if you talk to people about sin, you're probably going to get a, a lot of different ideas about what that means. Probably most typically, sin is something that's really, really bad. You know, that's kind of one of those really big things that you shouldn't do. But there's not a real good feel of, well, what is sin exactly? What is God talking about when he warns us and teaches us to avoid sin? Now, one of the most basic concepts about sin is the idea of law-breaking. And I think most of us have that general idea. And you'll notice a, a couple of places scriptures that speak to that very definition. Like the Apostle John says in 1 John 3 and verse 4 when he says, Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. And so he begins by trying to help us out, especially today, that that sin is not defined by the world standards. And it's not defined by by what is legal or what is illegal. That's kind of where sin is gone anymore. And sometimes sin is just kind of defined in some general fuzzy ideas of, well, you know, murder is obviously a sin That's because that's really bad. But what God tells us is that sin is acting without His law. The word lawlessness here is really interesting that it's not just simply that we are breaking overtly one of God's laws. Sin is described for us as acting without the authority or acting without the approval of God or His law. And you see that more clearly in the scripture that Walter just read for us this morning. There in Matthew 7 and verse 22, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Here is Jesus saying, let me tell you who's going to be participants in the kingdom of heaven. It's not people who simply say the right things. And I will point out to you what Jesus says. It's not people who think they're doing the right things that will be in the kingdom of heaven. Notice Jesus points out, on that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And you'd read that and go, well, surely... Uh, these are good things. These are right things. These, these are not sinful things that we would think of. We would read that and go, well, they're trying to do what's right. They're prophesying in the name of the Lord. They're teaching the name of the Lord. They're doing works in the name of the Lord. And yet Jesus says, I, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now, why would Jesus say that? Why would they be cast out? And the point is in that word lawlessness is that they're acting without the authority of God. They are acting without the law of God. Even though they think they are doing what is right, they think they are doing what God wants, they're not acting within the boundaries of God's authority. They are not acting within the boundaries of God's law. 
We have kind of fancy words for that. You might have heard of phrases sins of omission and sins of commission. And that fancy way of saying there's two ways to sin. You can either overtly break God's law or you cannot do what you're told to do. Both of those are sin. And that's what Jesus is showing here is they're not doing what God said to do. They are workers of lawlessness. Though seeming to say the right things, Lord, Lord, seeming to do the right things, prophesying and doing mighty works, they're not doing what God said to do. And so sin is not just merely a concept of really bad sins, of great immorality. Sin is defined as acting without the law of God, without having his approval or his authority. It's not just simply doing bad things. It is also not doing good things, doing the things that God wants you to do. Now, I think most of us have a a handle on that in terms of the definition of sin. But if that is all we think of in terms of sin, I want to submit to you that we have missed an immense part of what the Scriptures try to teach us about why sin is so awful and why it is so grave and why we need to avoid it. Yes, it is law-breaking, but one of the definitions that you find in sin and one of the ways that is used most in the Scriptures is that sin is an offense. Sin is not just merely, I broke the law. Sin is also an offense. There is a person who is hurt. People are offended by the action that has been committed. And you see that in a lot of ways. When we talk about things that are done wrong in our society today, you don't apologize to the law book. You say, well, I broke the law, so let me apologize to the book and say, I'm sorry that I broke the law book. That's not what we're doing. Because somebody has been offended, somebody has been hurt, we apologize to the person. We try to fix it with that person, not because, well, we feel bad that the law hurt, got its feelings hurt. They didn't get, it didn't get its feelings hurt. The person had the feelings hurt. The person received the offense. Even in our legal terms, that's still true today. In a trial that takes place today, you will notice that it is the people versus a particular defendant. You have the people. Because the law is not just simply, well, there's this book of rules and we don't want to break the rules, but there is the concept that people are hurt when these laws are broken. There are people who are offended, that take offense. There is harm and injury that is being committed to them. And so trials are not merely about, well, you know, you broke the law. That's kind of what it comes down to anymore. We kind of boil it down into this clinical concept of, well, law breaking is bad. And I think that's why we see such a problem today. We have people say, well, why follow the rules? Who cares about the law? Well, because you're thinking of it in a clinical kind of term of, well, it's just law. Who cares? It's just a bunch of rules. No. Trials exist because it's not just that the law was broken. It's that people were injured. It's that people are hurt in the process. They are the ones that are offended. The law is not offended. The law simply expresses the acts that will cause the offense. And that's important for us to see. The laws that God gives to us express to us what causes the offense. 
It's not simply, oh, well, you know, shame on us because there was this rule and we, we broke the rule. It is way more than that. We're talking about an offense is created against a person. And so often we miss that that is the heart of what sin is driving at, is there is injury that has taken place. And that is why God has given us laws and rules in terms of how to conduct ourselves with one another so that there are not offenses and injuries that take place with one another. And in the Moore case... There's a reason why God has given us laws is so that we do not offend and injure God. Now, for us, I think what we need to see then is when we think about sin as merely rule breaking or law breaking, I think that's one of the reasons why we lose, we lose the gravity behind sin. We lose the weight of why sin is bad. And we lose the sorrow that is supposed to come from it. When we break a law, you go, eh, whatever, break the law. You know, think about it like, oh, you broke the speed limit. You know, well, it's this ethereal law. You know, we think, well, who's injured by these things? When we put sin in past just simply law-breaking and understand that somebody is being hurt by our actions, that is what will help us understand where sorrow comes from and why we need to keep the laws that God has given us. Most importantly, to understand, sin is an offense against God. And that's, I think, what's so precious and why we appreciate the words of David. When David says, For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned, and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. You appreciate the words of David. My sin is ever before me. I know my transgression and I have sinned against you. You don't have David going, yeah, there's one of those rules that I know was in the law. Adultery, murder, yeah, shouldn't have done that. You're right. Sorry I broke the rule book. David understands the personal nature of sin and says, I have sinned against you. I have offended you. I have caused harm to God. That is the imagery of what this means for sin to be an offense. And we must get past the idea of, well, I'm just breaking a few rules that God might have arbitrarily brought about. We are sinning against the person of God. We are offending the Almighty God in our actions. And when we understand that, that will help us generate the godly sorrow that is supposed to lead to repentance. I don't feel too bad about a law book being broken, but I am broken to the core when I think about I am offending God. I am ruining myself before Him. I am sinning against Him. He is the person that has been wronged by my actions. We got to get past sin just being a bunch of rules and understand the person of God is offended by our actions. And so often that's what we do with sin. We justify it and we rationalize it because we think, well, sin's just hurt. It's just hurting me. 
Nobody else is being hurt. Nobody else is being harmed in this. Nobody else is being wrong. It's okay for me to do this because, you know, nobody else is affected by this. And we fool ourselves because not only do we not recognize how our sins can affect so many people and don't realize how we are harming our family, harming our friends, harming other Christians, we're certainly forgetting that we are harming God. We are offending God. We are offending His person. We are offending His character. And I know this sounds kind of strange because you think of God and you go, well, God is the Almighty God. He doesn't need us. He's not harmed by anything and He's impervious to all things. But the Scriptures repeatedly show us that God suffers from our sins. The Scriptures repeatedly show us that. One of the greatest books that tries to drive that imagery home is the life that is recorded about the prophet Hosea. To get the people to understand the impact of their sin against the Almighty God, God goes to a prophet named Hosea and says, here's what I want you to do. So that this can be understood about what's transpiring against God. You are to go and marry a prostitute. And she is going to cheat on you and have children by another man. And then you will begin to understand the pain that God feels when we sin. And man, Hosea is put through the ringer when you read that book. That God does not call sin and call what's going on with Hosea covenant breaking or law breaking. You know what he calls it? Adultery. One of the most devastating sins that a person can commit against another person. The only sin that can be committed that dissolves the marriage bond. God says, when these people sin, it's like adultery against me. God suffers by our sins. He's offended by what we do. And he doesn't just go through the Old Testament or into the New Testament and say, you know, uh, I wish you'd just quit breaking my rules. He's trying to tell us I'm offended by these things. This is an offense against our Almighty God. Let me read you a couple of other places, and I'll put them on the screen for you, just to get a feel of... Get a feel of the passion that God has and the offense that he's receiving when sins are committed against him. Jeremiah 2 verse 5. Thus says the Lord, What wrong did your fathers find in me that they went far from me and went after worthlessness and became worthless? It's an interesting way God terms it. God doesn't say, you know, why'd they break the law? What wrong did they find with me that they've rejected me and gone far away? What did I do? Here is God saying this as a personal insult. What have I done? And of course the answer is nothing but goodness. Nothing but righteousness. God has been good and holy and just and right. And here he's talking to his people and saying, Now what fault did you find with me that caused you to go astray? Of course none. But you have God on His end with this great question of pain. What what did I do? Why are you leaving me? Micah chapter 6, verse 3. 
O my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me. For I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. And I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. There's God saying, look at all the good that I've done for you. What have I done to you? Oh, I brought you up out of the land of Egypt. I redeemed you from slavery. I purchased you. I bought you back. And you have God speaking of these actions as an offense against him. Why have you done these things? Why have you broken the heart of the Almighty God? Psalm 81, verse 8. Hear, O my people, while I admonish you. O Israel, if you would but listen to me, there shall be no strange God among you. You shall not bow down to a foreign God. I am the Lord your God, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide, and I will fill it. Just stop there. God's saying, if you would just listen, if you would just not follow those gods, if you would just let me fill you with blessings, what a great picture. If you just open your mouth, I'd feed you. I would just pour blessings on you. Verse 11. But my people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. This is not God pleading on the basis of, boy, I just sure wish they'd keep the rules. It's about this is an affront against God. This is an attack against Him. This is an offense against Him. And He says, all that I've done is good. Why won't they come to me? Why won't they return? Hebrews chapter 10, verse 29. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will He be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which He was sanctified a common thing and insulted the Spirit of grace. Here is God saying, you're insulting me with these actions. What kind of punishment is deserved for the person who would trample the Son of God underfoot? Do you suppose that that's an offense to God to have the Son of God trampled underfoot? We don't want to think of our sin like that. We don't want to think of our sin as trampling the Son of God underfoot. We just, oh, we're going to break some rules. Counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing. Counting the blood that Christ shed that brought us forgiveness of sins through that covenant as no big deal. That's what we are doing when we sin. We're saying to God, eh, whatever. No big deal. We think that's offensive to God. Absolutely. And then to even use the word itself to insult the Spirit of grace. We must be moved away from this idea that sin is no big deal. We must be moved away from the idea that sin is just merely law breaking. All it is is just a bunch of rules, and so we break the law every once in a while. What's the big deal? And I believe we'll become more painfully aware of our sin when we define it as offending God. We have offended Him. We have sinned against Him. We have not sinned against the rule book. We have sinned against God. 
And when we see our sins that way, I believe that will help us stay away from sin. When we start going into temptation, when we will put in our mind, what I am doing is about to insult God. It is about to offend God. That is a much greater deterrent than, well, I know that's against the rules. A much greater deterrent. When I understand that I am harming a person, when I am breaking the laws of God, and I'm not just harming any person, and I'll be straightforward with you, you are harming yourself. You are most certainly damaging yourself as we commit sins. And you are most certainly damaging other people when you commit sins and harming others that are around you. But isn't it interesting when David says there in Psalm 51, Against you and you only have I sinned. That in one sense that wasn't true at all. He'd sinned against all kinds of people. He'd sinned against Uriah. Poor guy's dead. Sinned against Bathsheba. Bathsheba against David. David sinned against the whole nation. Because of what they did, it caused the downfall of that nation and put things in a horrible trajectory from then on. As curses would be mounted against them. As David's throne would now be in complete upheaval as David would now have to run for his life, as his throne would not be settled, as his sons would be usurpers sins are all over the place here but David understood that the biggest matter of all was not that he sinned against Uriah as if that was no big deal, it most certainly was a big deal And it was certainly not that sinning against the nation wasn't a big deal. But David understood that the big deal was that he sinned against God. That's what mattered the most. And that's why David could write the psalm and say, It is against you and you alone, because this is where the greatest offense lies. The greatest offense of our sin is against the Almighty God. And I'm just blown away by myself, and I'm sure you feel the same as how often we don't we don't feel the weight of that. And that's why David would say the words Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. He understood the gravity of his sin and what that meant. And that's why you read God throughout the scriptures calling upon the people. Weep and wail and mourn over your sins. Weep and wail and mourn because you need to understand what's been violated. The very character of God has been violated. And that's why David would write such powerful words and say, I'm broken by what I have done because he understood the impact of that sin. 
And that's why David would write, cast me not from your presence. We learn one of the critical consequences of our sins is separation from God. That's the second part we need to see about sin. Sin is not just merely law-breaking. It is an offense against God and you are separating yourself from God. It doesn't get any worse than that. And here is David saying, don't cast me from your presence because that's what's deserved for me. When I break your laws and I offend your character, I must be separated from you. And any wonder that God has to be separated from us. It is not matter, just simply a matter of light and darkness, and we are in the dark, and He is in the light, and He is holy, and we are not. But we are an offense to God. We have broken His character. We have offended Him in every way. And that is why you read those words that we started off with in Matthew 7 that Walter read for us. Workers of lawlessness cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says what's going to happen is God's going to say, Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. When we choose not only to break God's laws, but when we choose not to act within the authority of God's laws, to act with what He has told us to do, God says, You can't be in my presence. We can't have a relationship. You are an offense against God and we cannot be together. And that should, I hope, move us to a state of being crushed that says, well, what are we going to do about that? We've got a really big problem on our hands. Because all of us have offended God. And we have offended God repeatedly, innumerably. Often offense against God. And when we grasp how much we have offended God, that's what helps us appreciate the mercy of God. That's the only way to get a handle on what God has done for us. How many times would you let somebody offend you before you finally gave up and said, you know what, this isn't going to work? How many offenses would you take personally before you would say, you know, I don't think this is going to work for a relationship. I'm going to move to South Dakota and we're done, okay? We're just not going to talk anymore. How many offenses would it take? And think about how innumerable our offenses have been against God. And then you have God saying words like this in Romans 5 and verse 20. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased... Grace abounded all the more. And I read that and I just shake my head and go, Lord, really? At some point you would think God would draw the line and say, and as the sin increases, I draw the line and say, that's too much. After 350 sins, that's the line. Wouldn't that make sense in the Bible? You know, all right, at 540, that's it. I'm done. 700? You know, draw a line where God says, you know, you need to keep count because when you cross that line, God says, I'm done. No more relationship. Instead, He says, you know what I'm going to do? As the sin increases, I'm just going to let grace abound all the more. I'm going to keep forgiving you. If you want to have a relationship with God and you want to seek Him with all of your heart and you do not desire 
to submit to sin, but want to live for the Lord, God says, I'll save you. I will forgive you. And it doesn't matter if you have only sinned once, ten times, ten thousand times, one hundred thousand times. Grace abounds all the more. I love that picture. Here's Grace doesn't stop. Sin continues to rise up and God says, I've got enough grace to deal with that. But we need to appreciate that grace. And we only appreciate that by seeing our sin as an offense. We are offending our Lord. And therefore, I thank God that He is willing to forgive me though I offend Him over and over again. And so God has offered us generous grace. And to say those words, now the law came in and dealt with our sin and grace abounded all the more. That's why He sent His Son. That's what it's all about. That's how that could be possible. How grace could abound all the more is because God was willing before the foundation of the world and so determined to have a people who would be with Him that He would send His Son and die for our sins so that grace could be enacted for us. Those who recognize that sin, who recognize the gravity of that sin, and want to be forgiven of that sin, God will save. It's not just simply thrown out there. It's not just simply, well, you just go on doing whatever you want. Who understand the weight of sin and want to be forgiven by their sins, They are the ones that God saves. But if we are content to continue to break God's laws, if we are content to continue to do what we want to do and give no regard to the laws of God, no regard to what God has done for us, if we just say, you know what, those things don't matter. I want to do what I want to do. Understand something. God does not save those who insult Him by their actions and break His laws. He doesn't save He saves those who turn to Him and repent of their sins and beg for God's forgiveness. That is what God is looking for. That grace is offered to you this morning that you need to turn away from your sins. Be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins to initiate that relationship with Him. This is our submission to Him saying, I no longer am going to live for self. I understand the gravity of my sin. I understand that it's not just simply the law that I'm breaking, but I am insulting our very Creator. When we grasp that and we come to Him humbly, asking for forgiveness, that happens then, we, boy, then we can have a relationship with Him. And God begs you to come to Him to make that confession known that you want to serve Him and follow Him. And if you have not been immersed in water to have your sins washed away, today is the day. Today is that opportunity. Now is the time to get right before God before it is too late. How much longer will we go on insulting and offending our God before we seek forgiveness? Today is the day. Come to Him. Won't you come now while we stand and while we sing?